Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. This is a podcast from The Bugle. To whoever reads this message, greetings. It's our seventh day trapped in this cursed pyramid, alone with our thoughts and vague colonial regrets for messing with powers man what not of, or at least powers that man ought not what of, as we're discovering. Thaddeus is dead, eaten by the crocodiles when he failed the crocodile Sudoku. We're running out of food and Bernard is eyeing Captain Blomfeld hungrily. He does look pinkly delicious, as Germans do, glistening thus in the candlelight. But I digress. Our academic work translating the mysterious script on the walls continues apace. If this is our only legacy, let me inscribe it here. If my translation goes aright, it says, Beware all you who enter here. This is The Gargle, the audiosonic glossy magazines, The Bugle's audio newspaper for visual world. I'm your host, Alice Fraser, and these are your guest editors, Alison Spittle and James Nokise. Welcome. Oh, wow, I'm feeling very glossy today. Oh. It's quite hot. Oh, yes. Yeah, that'll that'll bring up a, a right gloss. <laughs> James, you're wearing a high-necked, uh, high collar. You're in somewhere cold. I'm, I'm wearing a scarf, actually. <sighs> wow. The portable collar. I thought he was going to launch a new iPod or something. Well, thank you. It feels very good. <laughs> well, before we practice our lockstep and march into the future, uh, that is the stories for this week, let's have a look at the front cover. The front cover this week is the Kardashian sisters appearing ensemble, newly shorn of buttocks, launching a new and different set of unattainable beauty standards. Commentators fear they will relaunch a resurgence of the orange juice approach to the female body, which is the more condensed you become, the more powerful you are. The satirical cartoon this week is a diagram of your feelings when you do support collective action and workers' rights, but also there's a rail strike on and you need to get somewhere. Well, that brings us to our top story this week, tech news. And sadly, we're all going to say goodbye to a dear friend of ours in the tech world, Internet Explorer, James Nokise. You're old. Can you unpack this story for us? <laughs> Thank you, Alice. Um, <laughs> it's just going to take me a while to read. <laughs> Beloved uh, fellow fans of Internet Explorer, um, whose privacy settings have got many of us through a breakup uh, in the 21st century. Uh, <laughs> sadly, they are shutting it down uh, and moving us towards their new uh, Internet Explorer that's not called Internet Explorer, but is called Edge, uh, named, of course, after the famous Internet edgelords uh, of the <laughs> second decade of the 21st century. Um, Microsoft seemed to have done this uh, because they felt they were getting behind in pointless updates. Apple, of course, had cornered this market, uh, consistently updating your computer software, even when you weren't sure what was happening. Um, and Microsoft said, no more, no more will we just not update anything. A lot of people don't realize that Chrome is still existing, which is what most people still use. Um, and they're going to keep Chrome. I think that's important to point out, even though it has exactly the same flaws as Internet Explorer. But I think the main problem with Internet Explorer, as I understand it, is there was just, it was one word too many. 
It's two words. That's that's too much for the 21st century. Well, I think the real problem here is that, that the reasoning they're giving for defuncting their Internet Explorer, if that's a word, which it isn't, but I'm saying it is, so now it is, um, is that, the, that people are not making things compatible with Internet Explorer. And, you know, the thing that you're meant to do as a web developer on your end is then maybe update what your compatibilities are. Mm. You know. These things develop and grow, but oh, I'm sorry, it can't, it doesn't work anymore. Well, I think the irony, Alice, is that most people who use Internet Explorer have always struggled with compatibility, um, just in life. <laughs> <laughs> I find it, I find it kind of like really nice that the Internet Explorer has died, but the Internet has chosen to dispose of the body by cremation. Like uh, the absolute roasts that this uh, service, that the Internet Explorer browser was getting. Someone had built a gravestone in South Korea. It read on the graves on the gravestone. It was a good browser to download other browsers. <laughs> and uh, I think to have that on, to having your incompetence written on your own gravestone, you must have been quite bad as a product. To be a piece of technology that's got a shitty enough personality that you uh, warrant a gravestone. I feel like all technology shouldn't have a personality. That's when you know that it's good is when you don't notice that you're using it specifically. That's true. Yeah. I used to use the Internet Explorer a lot when I was uh, a, a teenager uh, going into chat rooms where I would talk to adult men and then tell them I was a teenager and tell them I was calling the police. And that was my favorite <laughs> thing to do. I thought by typing in the word police into a chat room that it would automatically call the police right there and then uh, to, the, to the man on the other side. So, you know, I'm glad the Internet Explorer is out of my life for most of my trolling days. I associate with the, the website Rotten.com. Do you remember that? No, alas. It was a website where you could look at oh, autopsies yeah. and stuff in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was the first website I looked at as a child. And I feel it's definitely uh, shaped me into the person <laughs> I am today. <laughs> no, I'm sure I, I was sent links by that by my brother's awful friends in my teen years. But uh, it was not my go-to website. I would go to chat rooms or live journal. I was a big live journal person. I remember the first time someone showed me the internet it was on a it was on a, a a desktop on their parents' dining room table, and they said, "Here, look at this thing. It's called the internet. You can call someone a prick online, <laughs> and that's what we did." <laughs> I mean, that is. I mean, if we have a gravestone for the internet when it finally goes the way of the fishes, uh, that will be that will be on the gravestone. It allowed you to call someone a prick. <laughs> Well, that's all the time we have for our Internet Explorer Lost News now because now it's time for your ads. And this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Aging. If you've ever wanted a broader scope for regret, <laughs> try Aging. And are you surrounded by people who are constantly seeing patterns in the world, who are constantly believe that the world is colluding to give them messages in the song of the bird or the meeting of a stranger on the bus? Consider what energy you're putting out to draw those people to you. <laughs> oh, I feel very seen. I feel very seen. <laughs> and are you in the Louvre? Do you want to make a political statement that will rivet the eyes of the world to your cause while simultaneously drawing attention away from your cause? Try attacking the Mona Lisa with half a glass of water. <laughs> are you sick of not being part of a cult-like fad exercise regime whereby you're forced into a range of humiliating exercises by someone genetically hotter than you could ever through work alone hope to achieve? Are you worried that your exercise lacks that real life-or-death edge? Boy, do we have the solution for you. 
Based on the worst, most toxic traits of CrossFit, boot camp, and soul cycle combined, welcome to Shoot Camp, a four-day weekend retreat deep in the foothills of a remote mountain location. You'll be dropped there by helicopter with the bare minimum for survival. Racing through the hostile terrain, you'll trauma bond with your squad of ten, led by an improbably attractive Brad or Donna as you attempt to survive against the odds provided by harsh weather conditions and a group of billionaire huntsmen with rifles, quad bikes, and a taste for human fear. Discover among you and your nine teammates which display the qualities of honour, courage, six-pack abs, or the unfortunate inherent trait of being the wimp that will betray their cohort for the chance of a power aid on day three. Remember, due to the deal we've made with the billionaire sponsors, only up to four of you will survive the journey to the summit and be in the running for the privilege and pleasure of single combat with Jeff Bezos on the mountain's peak. If you survive, you'll be rewarded with the opportunity to make love with one of the trainers. Unfortunately, you can't be allowed to return with your memories intact, but after a mind wipe, you'll return to work on the Tuesday tanned and lean with memories of a really heavy yoga retreat, but the kinds of emotional battle scars your HR manager will be seriously incapable of processing. That's our dissatisfaction guarantee. Shoot camp. Never take your functioning limbs or half a glass of water for granted again. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now it's time for your 18th century cockroach found in a slave trading ship legend news. I feel like the headline sort of <laughs> bespeaks the content of the headline. Alison Spittle, you've seen a cockroach before. Can you unpack this story? Yes, this 18th century cockroach was found in a slave trading ship ledger. Uh, this was found in Britain, where most of the slave trading ship ledgers end up at some point. It's like the, the natural circle of life. It's where they go back. And um, it began in West Africa on a ship that sailed from La Rochelle um, in 1743 to Guinea. And when the when the book was closed, it created a perfect microclimate for the for the cockroach to become mummified um and isn't it so strange like this perfect all you need for the perfect conditions is to be on a ship that's uh you know uh, like a ship that's full of horrible bad things that are happening into it and everyone's like oh look a cockroach has been mummified that's the worst thing in that ledger <laughs> yeah <laughs> Ew, a cockroach amongst all of this horrible, horrible <laughs> stuff written in it. So it says here that like the ship's papers probably haven't been opened or looked at since the mid-18th century. Their first concern was, do they have cockroaches, right? But this cockroach wasn't... Uh, wasn't native at all to the UK so what they did then was they tried to uh, use some radio radiocarbon dating and it failed as a technique because it wasn't accurate enough for that period right but I love this quote but using historical knowledge we are able to say it seems pretty old and I'm like <laughs> what <laughs> give me more context for that I can use historical knowledge and say that seems pretty old um, but it, it's incredible they, they've named him Perry uh, the cockroach is called Perry 
and they've put him in his own little uh, perspex. Uh, they've put him in his own little box now, with a perspex lid. Oh, like Snow White. I know, with his own reference number and everything. I'm sure she had that too. <laughs> and uh, he'll be kept in a drawer and available to order up for anyone who wishes to inspect him further in a special room in the National Archives. I mean, that's what they don't say about Snow White. She was part of a whole library full of uh, ladies in glass boxes and uh, the prince just took her out using the Dewey Decimal System. Hey, and he's like, look, she's got her own microclimate here. Amazing. <laughs> she's kept... I'm just saying, have they tried kissing the cockroach? This might work. <laughs> Someone, do you know what? They say that it's available for someone, anyone to inspect him in a further special room. If any Gargle listeners are listening and they, they, they're, at, they're at the National Archives, if they want to kiss that cockroach for us to see whether Perry will come back to life, uh, I'd be very up for that. Um, also, it's, it's just weird that like I'm, I'm like, the cockroach was on the slave ship. I'm like, do I like this Perry? Like, I don't, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about this cockroach. It seems like he was uh, he had some company around some among some very shady characters. You know, Alison, um, this is I think one of the most terrible things about the modern world is that you reading this article feel like you have to have feelings about this cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did. That's so true. I was like, part of me is like, F- that guy. Yeah. I think you are not obliged to formulate an opinion about the cockroach. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> I did feel like I was. I was like trying to like give him context and go like, you know, Perry didn't want to be there, I'm sure. Like that was the way that was the way I was. So that this story to me is very interesting. That they, they've basically found a cockroach between two pages. Like like you'd find like in a in a used school book, except uh this was in the the book of a slave trader, and uh, it's kind of nice though that it hasn't been opened in years. That like, <laughs> I don't know, like it feels like you don't want to look through the cursed slave trading book, and then eventually like someone's like, I'll open it, I'll have a look. <laughs> well, I mean, did you know that um that hot flush feeling you get where you feel like that specific cockroach is crawling all over you? That's what's called perimenopause. <gasps> what? <laughs> oh, you're just. <laughs> This is like when you get me with a half a glass of water. <laughs> genuinely. James Nokise, how do you feel about the cockroach? Remember, you don't have to. No, look, that's, uh, I, I mean, I, I did my research. I, I just I wanted to be sure. Um, and it's definitely from Africa originally. So that cockroach is on the right side of history. Okay, cool. It's called an American cockroach, but it originates from Africa. And I'll be honest, guys, this close to Juneteenth, that's as, that's as deep as I want to dive on this one. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the Pacific Islander backing away from the Africa conversation this close to Juneteenth. That cockroach, <laughs> uh, I think it is a bit weird that their their first instinct as uh, an, an old imperial nation was to register and confine it straight away. I think that's a little bit, you know, <laughs> that's just the old, the old instincts popping up. They were like, give it a number, put it in a box. It's like, whoa, easy, easy Britannia. That's all the time we have for our history news now, because now it's time for your reviews. As you know, each week we ask our guest editors to bring in something to review out of five stars. James Nokise, what have you brought in to review? I've bought Turning 40 um, to be uh, reviewed. Uh, And so far, uh, I've got a bacterial infection in my gut, uh, which is requiring me to take two tablets uh, three times a day with food. uh, and I'm cold because I'm in New Zealand. So, uh, as you would notice, I've got a scarf around. 
so I, I just don't know why it's happened so quickly, but just creeping up on 40, I'm immediately dressed like my dad and taking the same amount of medication. So uh, <laughs> three stars. And I'm only giving it that extra star because the medication is readily available. And New Zealand has a fairly good public health care system. Alison Spittle, what have you brought in for us to review? I'm reviewing uh, today a boob sweat. Uh, it was a... Uh, the thing that I've uh, come upon a lot more since the heat wave. Um, I think it's a different type of sweat to other sweat. Um, I would describe it as like, if you were to describe sweat in food terms, general sweat is like stock or a broth. And I think uh, boob sweat <laughs> is uh, more of a consomme. It's been boiled out a lot more. It's very, very odd. So I'm giving it a two out of five. Because it's very unpleasant, but I figure I would die if I didn't sweat out of my boobs. Like, there must be a reason. But, uh, yeah, quite, quite uncomfortable. I mean, this is amazing because last week Tiff reviewed having big boobs in the summer. So we are getting increasingly granular reviews of the situation of hot boobs. Oh, shit, Tiff. I'm sorry. (laughs) And yet, less and less sexy somehow. (laughs) If there's there's one thing I can do is make anything less sexy by talking (laughs) about it in minute detail. (laughs) And that's all the time we have for our reviews, or is it? Because I've brought in something to review this week, and this is breaking news that I am going to review because I wanted to put it in the gargle, but I didn't have time to send it out to you guys. The Bitcoin whale, Michael Saylor, has urged governments to step in and regulate crypto. Ah, oh, yeah. Ah, oh, the delicious, beautiful num, 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 irony. He's saying that there's all these scammers and horrible people in the crypto space, which we all always knew, and that they need government regulation, which was the thing that they were invented to not have. And so uh, I feel like this is a five out of five story. I have no notes, <laughs> uh, but I'm opening it to the floor if any of you have comments. I just love the term Bitcoin whale as well. It sounds. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what it looks like because when you think of a sperm whale, it's never what it. It's never what you think it looks like. You know what I mean? So with this Bitcoin whale, I'm just uh, trying to figure out what it looks like. But yeah, to to me, uh, what would it look like? It would have a fedora, I think, naturally on it, on its little blowhole. And that's the only difference. <laughs> me trying to sell you an NFT of itself. I mean, all all Bitcoin whales are sperm whales, let's be honest. Like 90% of them are sperm whales. I, I think this is one of those just beautiful stories that you could see coming a mile off. It's one of those stories that explains itself in the same way as you go, why is Elon Musk buying Twitter? It's not a profitable enterprise. Oh, you want to use it to manipulate consumer investors and make a bunch of money? No, 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 that makes sense. So I'm, I'm very much, as I said, five out of five, enjoying this story. Uh, do do some research in it if you want some pleasant Schadenfreude. I do. I do think I heard it's it's crashing or it's crashed by like seventy eight percent or something like that. Last yes, day, which is uh, yeah, Bitcoin seventy two percent I think crashed, um, but all the other cryptocurrencies have lost about ninety percent of value. And yet the amazing thing is, people who are into Bitcoin will still take the moral high ground to patronize you when explaining the importance of Bitcoin to you. Like it's so, like you you are literally the meme of the child standing outside the burning house, going, <laughs> "Won't you invest in Bitcoin?" You know what that would need? Half a glass of water for that burning house. <laughs> hey, high five, high five, high five! I think I've done my first ever half a glass of water thing. You're it welcome. Feels great. I mean, you could have just uh, scraped a cup under one of your boobs on a hot summer's day. <laughs> I probably am producing. 
half a glass of water, I think. Yeah. That's all the time we have for our reviews section now, because now it's time for our Swedish trash news. And this is uh, the story of passive-aggressive garbage bins. James <laughs> Nokise, you've known some passive-aggressive garbage bins. Can you unpack this story for us? Well, that's very kind of you, Alice, but as we both know, I was a passive-aggressive garbage bin through most of my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> the Swedes, uh, as, as they are want to do, are trying to get people to put rubbish in bins, um, presumably because the Swedes have been littering, which is just a shock to, I think, everyone who's not Swedish. I think we always think of them as at least being able to stick it up their incredibly tight asses. Um, <laughs> but in order to motivate um, the Swedes to do it, they have got their rubbish bins, uh, or some of the rubbish bins, uh, in their third largest city, Malmo, uh, to talk uh, in, a, in a male voice uh, a little bit dirty. No, 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 no. No? So they had 18 aggressive male talking trash cans, and now they have two what? sexy female talking That's trash cans. That's so Oh, is that... If I, I thought it was... If I just misread that. Which is to say that the trash can situation in Malmo is the same as a comedy lineup. I thought it was the men that were talking sexy, and then they added the women. No, the men bark orders at you. The women are like, mmm, yum, put more in me. Genuinely. Um, what? <laughs> I was like, what, is this Irish comedy TV? Because that's what it felt like. I felt we're, some PTSD. We're just slowly, slowly putting all the ingredients in place for someone to be arrested for a public order offence for trying to f*** a trash can. <laughs> I mean, we talk like that hasn't happened. And I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you, Hull. That's... <laughs> Yeah, they didn't even need anyone to say anything to them. They just f***ed that trash can with silence, yeah. you know? Yeah. I like a quiet woman. Yeah. yeah. It's quite an interesting thing to try and seduce people into not littering. I feel like it's, it is, in its own way, innovative. I think we've, we haven't, you know, we've tried things to make environmentalism sexy, but we've never just gone full innuendo. Yeah, I mean, Peter does that. Peter, the, the animal rights people, they'll often just have a nude thing being like, we don't need to wear furs. Look at my tits. Like that's their kind of thing. My favorite part of this is the section chief of Malmo's Roads Department, whose name uh, sounds like a made-up name. Her name is Marie Person, <laughs> and she's told, yeah, she's told uh, a newspaper that the trash cans were meant to give positive reinforcement to people who do the right thing by giving them a laugh. Which I don't think it would make me laugh if a trash can started talking sexually to me. Like if it implied that me putting rubbish in it was somehow giving it pleasure. I think that would be deeply disturbing and if anything encourage me to litter i don't i don't consent to giving you pleasure uh the other thing that um person revealed is that uh the voice belongs to a famous person not her not marie person a famous person uh, <laughs> who doesn't want their identity revealed so they're an anonymous but famous talking trash can this is so weird to me because it makes me feel like uh i it makes me feel like if i put trash into it it'll re like release my inner dom where I'd be like, yeah, eat that trash. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd be like, wow, this is what it's like to be in a sadist, masochist relationship with a bin. It's a new form of European tourism where people go to Malmo and just stand there violently throwing trash into a bin going, you like that? You like that trash, don't you? You're a garbage person. 
I love the way that Sweden is dealing with litter in general. Like I saw in the article that there was a a reference also to another town that had uh, that hired a company that trained crows to pick up cigarette butts. And like, I think, <laughs> number one, the origin story. I would love to know where this guy was like going into Dragon's Den and go, I need £150,000 to invest in my crow cigarette eating <laughs> company. He would be sectioned there and then. But in Sweden, like they're like, no, this is viable. And the other thing is, I think the crows picking up cigarettes could be used for so many other kind of social problems, you know, uh, along with littering. If I went to a town and I saw a crow with a cigarette in its mouth, I would turn around. I would reverse. I would be like this town. I would I would not start anything in that town. I mean, I think it is the most crime noir thing if you walk into a dark alleyway and there are three crows that look at you and they've each got a fag butt hanging out their mouth. And they're all just like tossing trash into a bin next to it that's making seductive noises and for some reason has a Jessica Rabbit dress on now. I walked in and there she was eating trash off the floor like a bin. Three crows smoking around her. It's so weird as well the the sexy things that they say this this uh, bin says. It's a dirty city and it's only getting dirtier. Yeah. Here's one of their sexy phrases. Come back soon and do it again. Can you imagine if you said that? That's not sexy. That's needy. <laughs> you know, someone's just, you've just finished sex and you're like, come back soon and do it again, please. You know? Also implies they didn't do that good a job. Yeah. No. <laughs> Have a think about it and come back again. <laughs> Try something a bit different. You know? Seven out of ten. Next time, do it right. Sitting in a bathroom having a crisis of confidence going, what did I do wrong? What? I... <laughs> Yeah, you know you've really thrown that trash away when the when the trash can immediately falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> or it needs a cigarette straight after and the crow comes over and Hello. the cigarette butt. <laughs> we are about to create like a, a horrifying symbiotic sexual relationship between crows with cigarette butts and sexy trash cans. Yeah, and repressed people who've gone specifically to Malmo to feed trash yeah. to talking things. We are 10 years from being swarmed by wheelie bins with wings. <laughs> Trying to f*** <laughs> Well, I'm asking you for the end of your cigarette. That is horrific. That is horrific. They'll be like, no, finish that cigarette first. I'll take it then. I only like the butts, you know? <laughs> are you going to finish that cock? <laughs> I like cigarette butts and I cannot lie. Sure, my other crows can't deny. When a man walks in with a lot of waste and he puts it in your face, you get. <laughs> That's all the time we have for our uh, sexy rubbish bins news because now it is time for our final words news. Uh, this is this is the news that um, somebody has written their own headstone in a way that is going to cause trouble forever. So a man has decided to memorialize himself or his family has decided to memorialize him in the form of an acrostic, which reads, forever in our hearts, until we meet again, cherished memories known as our son, brother, father, papa, uncle, friend and cousin. Which is f*** off. And apparently the people who are in charge of a graveyard, which was a thing I didn't know really existed, they're like, nah, get this out. 
And the family are like, no, we want to keep it. And now it's in the news and we've got to see it. It's wonderful. I hope they get to keep it. They say that it might offend people that have gone to, uh, you know, the grave to mourn their family members. But genuinely, I think seeing the words off is not the worst thing to happen to you if you're going to a graveyard to mourn. <laughs> so I think everyone should calm the down and let these people have off written on their gravestone. Uh, James, do you know what will be on your gravestone? No, no. I look. I I don't know if there'll be any land left for me to be buried. So I'm just happy for anyone who can get a gravestone. I figure I'll just get cremated and thrown in a Swedish bin, as is in my will. <laughs> Where'd it go? Oh yeah, right there, right there. While your while your family mourn you. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't. Do, it does give a different meaning to feed him to the crows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so strange because, like, uh, my experience with graves and graveyards, there was a, there was a grave in my village. I used to play in a graveyard when I was a kid, and um, there was a grave with no playgrounds or anything like that. And there was um, a grave with like four big fists coming out of the corners of the grave, and I thought, <laughs> I thought that was like someone had told me that Muhammad Ali was buried there. Now, Muhammad Ali was not dead and had visited <laughs> Ireland like that year. <laughs> so it definitely wasn't him. Uh, but in my head, I was like, oh, that's his grave. And I like gave it the respect it deserved by never going near it. So I, I didn't discover until my mid-twenties that, in fact, Muhammad Ali wasn't uh, buried in the middle of Ireland uh, when I saw that he had died. <laughs> like That's when I found out he oh. wasn't. He wasn't buried in my village. That's when you found out the grave was belonged to the local fisting fetishist. Or yeah. <laughs> Do you know what's funny? I think it's the Ulster Unionist, which is like yeah, you could say, <laughs> yeah, big fisting fetishist. <laughs> Alison, can I just say on behalf of all the listeners right now, that is the most Irish story. I think I've heard in such a long time that a young girl playing in a graveyard confused an Ulster grave for Muhammad Ali's while he was still alive. I look forward to seeing the film. They should make a traditional Irish song of it, you know, oh, playing amongst the gravestones, and that's what I did see. It was a grave that said that belonged to Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Even though he was alive. You are nailing the musical song. And it was plain to see. Oh, that's the day that I left Muhammad Ali. Anyway, sorry, there's a go. That was so good. There's a Hollywood producer listening to this right now going, get Ed Sheeran to sing it, get Ed Sheeran to sing it. <laughs> Well, that's all the time we have for our end-of-life news because it's the end of the show now. We are flipping through the ads at the back. Uh, Alison Spittle, have you got anything to plug? Oh, yes. I've got a show that's coming to Edinburgh. It is called What? Uh, I'm going to be previewing in Bath, uh, Brighton and Leicester very soon. I've sold four tickets for Leicester. So if you're around Leicester, please, God, come because it's uh, it would be worth me going. And, um, yeah, it come to see me in Edinburgh. I'm on at uh, 4.45 every day, apart from the ninth where I'm going to be a bridesmaid for my sister. But come along every day. It's going to be fun. It's a show about, well, it was a show about aqua aerobics, but really that's decreasing, 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 and it's more about contraception at this point so enjoy <laughs> it'll still stand the name wet if you uh, enjoyed this episode and would like to be one of our roving reporters you can be one of our roving reporters by tweeting any funny stories that you like at, at hello gargles on twitter and thank you to james vt fran sarrell 
Danny R. Blay and Modest Molerat for sending us in the sexy talking bins. It's almost like you knew we would like that. And uh, Modest Molerat and Rod Funk for sending us the acrostic headstone story. James Nokise, have you got anything to plug? Uh, not really. I'm coming back to the UK for the first time in two and a half years. So I'm looking forward to um, just seeing everyone, seeing what's going on. Uh, I'll be in Edinburgh. I'll be doing a show around four o'clock uh, each, each day. So you can come and find me there um but otherwise i just just go and see allison and lester for the love of god um <laughs> call, call your friends call your family let's let's just yeah. accidentally sell out this lester gig for allison that's that's what i want to say it's my birthday next week listeners give me a great birthday present and go sell out allison's show in lester or at least more members than blazing squad as an audience if you could like be bigger than blazing squad or s club seven I'd be quite happy. And I will also be in Edinburgh with my show Kronos, which will be at 9.15 at the Gilded Balloon. I'll be there the whole month and uh, also up and down the country in various places as well. Look up me up on Twitter at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E, also the same on Instagram, or find me on patreon.com slash Fraser. It's one stop top for all of my standard specials, podcasts, and blogs. This is an Alice Fraser and Beagle podcast production. Your editor is Ted Hunter. Your executive producer is Chris Skinner. I'll talk to you again next week. You can listen to other programs from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions, and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts.